My name is Nick Flower, and I'm a clinical psychologist who specializes in behavior therapy. And I'm Lauren McLean, and I am a therapist who specializes in behavioral therapy as well. Welcome to Psychologically Incorrect. This is a podcast about real life through the lens of behavioral psychology and applying the lessons of clinical psychology into everyday issues. Cognitive behavioral therapy and hopelessness. That's going to be our topic today. The frequency of difficult, scary, and painful events are happening at a frequency that most are finding untenable. There are a lot of big emotions, both on and offline, which are hard to feel on a nonstop daily basis. The goal today is to sort through the thoughts, feelings, and attitudes, and how we may suggest thinking through these so that we don't get stuck in big emotions and hopeless thinking. Hi, Lauren. Hey. So I'm glad we're talking about this today because I don't know about you, but I have had a lot of therapy sessions with patients talking about current events, looking mm -hmm. for answers that are hard to find. So has that been your experience too? Uh, yes, absolutely. Of course it has. And, you know, we live in this world too as therapists and we have our own thoughts about these things and our our, our significant others have these thoughts and these strong emotions. And, uh, it's, it, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to, um, to discuss on this topic. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's like a, Oh, great. Hopelessness. Let's do that more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad that you said that, right. Cause we're people too. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, we have our own thoughts and feelings and friends and family and loved ones and, you know, everybody's dealing with this in different ways and it affects everybody in different ways. And I right. agree. Um, hopelessness sounds like a real downer to talk about, but I think it's mm -hmm. an incredibly important thing to talk about because hopelessness can be suffocating. And if you know that you're there and you don't know what to do, it's just, you know, incredibly painful. And if you can't recognize that you're there, um, that blind spot's problematic too, because you're in pain, but you don't even really know you're in pain. So we're going to try to find hope and hopelessness. Is that what we're going to do? Hopefully. Hopefully we can find some hope. <laughs> all right. Um, okay, all right, cool. Well, let's get started by, uh, let's, let me define a concept called dialectics. And dialectics is actually a philosophy word. And it means you can have two opposing views or two competing truths that can seem to contradict each other and can both be valid and of value. And so let me just give you some simple examples that I can be really scared and I can do the thing anyway. That's dialectical, right? The black and white thought would be, I'm scared, I don't do it. Or I can feel really weak and still build strength. Or I can be sad about something and also excited about another. Um, so I could be sad to leave a job and excited for a new job and one does not invalidate the other. They are both true. Um, so those are just very simple dialectics. Um, but dialectics is a really important concept when to think about, when you think about hopelessness, because hopelessness is a very, well, I mean, it's a really powerful feeling, but it can be rooted in a lot of black and white ideas. This will never get better. So I'm hopeless, Right. And I mean, you know, so we want to really think about the nuance of things so we can hopefully 
zoom out a little bit. There's, um, Nick, have you ever seen an act? I wish everybody could see my video where it's like when things are so in your face, it's like your hands are directly in front of your face and it's all you can see. Mm. And the goal is to be able to zoom out and move your mm. hands down towards your side so you can see a little bit clearer. And mm. I think that when we feel suffocated in things, it's like we're in such tunnel vision that it feels like there's nowhere to go and there's no room to go. Right. So what, why do you think it's important to open this discussion up with uh, the, the concept, the philosophical concept of dialectics? Um, because I think that if we're going to try to zoom out from hopelessness, we need mm -hmm. to kind of let the thing coexist that both the events and the frequency of really painful events are happening much too frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, and the degree of pain is palpable and that is mm -hmm. a really valid thing. And I would say the other and is we need to find a way to still live in the world and not suffer and try to have purpose, meaning, growth, joy, whatever, you know, and right. it's hard to do that when there is a great amount of pain. Right. So the idea is even though you're feeling hopeless, you can you can have that you can have those feelings not to ne not negate those or pretend that they're not there. Um, while also having other feelings and other cognitions that might get you, that, that, that might serve to get you out of that hopelessness. Like you say, when we do OCD treatment, for example, we're asking somebody to have fear, but then also go do a scary thing. You know what I mean? You can still have that fear, but then act uh, in the opposite of what that fear might be telling you to do. Exactly. Yeah. So the, uh, the dialectic here is not about denying that a lot of people are really struggling right now for a whole variety of reasons. And we want to function despite that struggle as sure. opposed to collapse in that struggle. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So well, let's talk about cognitions of hopelessness, right? We want to think about the CBT part. And so the C, CBT is our thoughts, cognitions. So Nick, why don't you go through What are some you know thoughts of hopelessness that you're hearing a lot of? Well, right. And, um, you know, this is, uh, you said it exactly right. This isn't the behavior piece. This is, of course, the way that we conceptualize these things, the way that we interpret our events is so, so important. And uh, that's what we're going to get into a little bit now. So one of the things that we hear uh, quite a lot from people um, in our sessions is, you know, I can't live like this. I can't take this anymore. You know, uh, that's a very catastrophic way to think, a way to interpret the the events of your life because uh and, and again not not diminishing the feelings that this person is having but when somebody says i can't do this i can't live like this anymore well that that's a real that's a real dark cognition Huge. because that that is like that is the epitome of a hopeless cognition and in fact in all honesty you and i could both attest to the fact that when we hear somebody saying i can't live like this our alarm bears, bells are going off filled with suicidality and, you know, uh, and that sort of thing. So we need to be very careful in our sessions with that. But and, again, and yeah, because what's yeah. the other option? If you say I can't live like yeah. this, what is the other option? Well, death, <laughs> you know, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and that's what and that's what most of our people's minds go to sometimes, you know, and so that's what I mean. We're we're hanging. And, and again, we're, we're part of our podcast, Lauren, right, is to is to hear what we're 
uh, apply what we're talking about in therapy to the broader scope of things. And this is a public service announcement. If you hear somebody talking about how they can't live like this anymore, they can't do this. That's a, that might be some, uh, a sign that that person is really, really struggling, but that's just as an aside. No, I um, think that's a great yeah. point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, certainly ask, but you know, I think the other reason why people say it is they're trying to emphatically describe the depth of their pain. That's right. And they don't even realize that could be perceived as kind of a suicidal talk, or they don't even realize, you know, what they're really implying to themselves, which is, I can't live like this. So what's the other option? They're just kind of wallowing in the stuckness. Right. I agree with you. We say things, the way that we use language, we, we try, it's, we really kind of, <laughs> exaggeration is the uh is the currency that we all use to describe how mad we are you know what i mean if i don't like the quarterback for the baltimore ravens or something he's like the devil it was not the devil he's just a guy you know what i mean like really he's go, just a guy <laughs> go to a ridiculous level with that but yeah, that's just how we talk uh, so people say i can't live like this it will never get better um again catastrophic thinking that is that is totally a, an absurd take you on that you know what i mean the person doesn't think that it's absurd they really believe that but that's like an example of a cognition that it will never get better um things have been worse in the in, in our in the course of our history um and this is not a good time not to diminish the the badness that's going on now but it's also been worse at times um and and so that's in that that's another one we hear a lot um it's it's hopeless we're doomed um, I can't stand the idea of this or that. Um, these are all circling around the same, you know, theme, uh, but all directly, you know, end up at you know, a hopeless, hopeless stance. Um, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that, you know, there could also be, and when people say this, some amount of mindlessness that they don't really realize the power of their words. And that when you mm -hmm. say it'll never get better, I mean, the first thing that I would say to that would be, well, how do we know? And maybe a more accurate thing to say would be, it will take a lot of work to get better. It will take a lot of mm -hmm. work to improve the situation, but I don't know for sure it'll never get better. And, and, you know, maybe like, it's just about kind of acknowledging there's a long path forward, but not never. And I think sometimes, you know, when we have high emotions, we just kind of speak off the cuff and we make these kind of emphatic statements that, the you know, Go ahead. No, but the, to your point, but the way that we speak about things is very impactful. And that's Certainly. why, that's why we both, you and I both like the, the, the concepts of cognitive therapy, because that's a really big deal. The way that we talk to ourselves so often in my work with people, I'm hearing people, you know, really diminish themselves and they don't even know they're doing it, you know, and I'll say, whoa, 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 <laughs> wait a minute. Why, why do you say that about yourself? What, what's the evidence that you have? Like to, to your point, yeah. you know, um, like I had a guy this week who, 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 um, he didn't complete one aspect of his exposure therapy homework, or it didn't go as well as he wanted it to. And he had to like, he backed out of it, but yet he did like three other things that he hadn't done in, I don't know, however many years. And, uh, and then I brought that up to him and he's like, oh, oh, that's true. I guess true. Exactly. And you're only looking at this one piece of it. So anyway, the point is, is that the way it's so powerful, the way that we speak to ourselves, the, the voice of the mind. Right. I did. I missed one thing. I'm a total failure. Right. Right. That like, and you know, that's a, that's a great micro example of how that's going to kill your self-esteem. But I think, you know, going back to like painful events, this is slightly different because 
you hear that as an outsider where somebody says, I did, I missed one thing. I'm a total failure. You're like, that's not accurate. Like, I know that that's not accurate. That's kind sure. of a distorted self-concept. But with this, you know, that's why I made a point of let's talk about dialectics because like there's some painful stuff out there, you know, yeah. I mean, like. And so it's hard because there is a point of this that's rooted in reality, yeah. which is different from sometimes of what we're talking about in standard CBT. I have a bad nose. I'm a hideous person. Like objectively, sure. no. Right? right. But this right. is hard because it is painful mm -hmm. and our thoughts inform our views on the world and suffering and so on and so forth. So, well, I would take that. I, would, I agree with you. And I would take that to expand upon that. The, um, we're talking about real life events and everyone is affected by real life events. The example that I gave was somebody who was made to diagnostic criteria for OCD. And that's a, a very specific thing. They have, they have reached the level where they are needing therapy to get over it or, or to get through it. Um, and we're talking about, you know, people that aren't being treated for, you know, uh, you know, anything, um, not saying that they shouldn't be, but you know what I mean? These, these, sure. these, these are all real events that are happening. And, uh, you know, you can't argue that the shootings aren't happening or you can't make the case that, you know, um, uh, you know, January 6th or, or pick, pick sure. your poison. You yeah. Know, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, right? Because that's the whole, one of the whole reasons why we started this podcast is we think what we do for people that have, you know, psych psychiatric and psychological, issues is helpful to the average person. And in case like mm -hmm. this, where there's a lot of pain in the world, like, yes, these tools are incredibly helpful because how you're mm -hmm. thinking about that pain is going to affect mood, emotion, function, you know, so on and so forth. I have no other choice is something that we hear. Um, yeah. Anger, the blame, I hate such and such, you know, um, I hate the Republicans, I hate the Democrats, I hate whoever we're hating. I hate Trump. Yeah. Right. I hate the gun exactly. gun lobby. Sure. I sure. hate this. I hate that. It's their fault. It's this fault. Right. Right. You know. And not to say that anger, or, or not to say that anger can't be a driver for you to a motivator for you to become more active and sort of cope with it in an effective way. But a lot of times, these cognitions just end up, you know, leading towards hopelessness. Totally. Um, and then. The last point uh, I wanted to speak about, I, I don't know if this fits here, Lauren, maybe we can make it fit, but like the notion that trauma is cumulative. I was talking with a good friend of mine named Monica Williams, and she uh, does a lot of work on racial trauma. And uh, you know, I was talking to her about my my issues with, with hopelessness <laughs> and going to my friends and my support uh, in, in a way that I try to cope. And she said, well, listen, this is tough. And, and trauma, is it's a, it's a cumulative thing. Um, and you know, like we were talking earlier, this, this could lead to learned helplessness. Uh, so wait, let's uh, take a moment. Can you define yeah. what, how would, how would you define learned helplessness? So learned helplessness, uh, is, you know, when you're, when you're, when the, the example, I think they, they gave in the general psych books way back in the day was the dog, uh, re receives an electric shock on one side of the grid jumps over the fence to the to the non-electrified side and uh, thinks that he's safe, but then he gets shocked over there. And then he jumps to the other side of the fence and he gets shocked over there. And then the other side, and then he keeps getting shocked no matter where he goes. And what a what a what a great experiment for this dog. I mean really this is uh, <laughs> this is this is good stuff. Um, 
but the poor dog, uh, no matter what he does, uh, he, he can't, he can't win. So he just lays down and, and gets shocked and, and, and keeps receiving the shock on the one side of the grid. There's nothing he can do. And so that's the, I, if you remember that correctly, that's what I remember, how I remember learning about learned helplessness. And when you apply that to the, you know, to the real world examples, it's like, no matter what I do, you know, this is the person who is, you know, campaigning for their candidate, uh, that never wins or they're, you know, fight, fighting for these things, you know, like the gun thing is a great example. You know what I mean? Some people are out there fighting the good fight and doing what they can. And, you know, the, the problem doesn't seem to get any better, you know what I mean? And so then they get stuck and then they quit because they're hopeless or they move away or something like that. Um, learned helplessness is an incredibly powerful thing. I mean, you know, Monica Williams, what she was talking about in studying racial trauma. I mean, this, it's, it's like painful to even think about it, but it, I mean, it is a reality that some people live in a world mm -hmm. that reinforces the idea. They grew up in the world that danger is everywhere. Yeah. And when you have learned experience that danger is everywhere, why would I try? Right what's the point of trying? You're like the, you lay down. Right. And, you know, I mean, that's why, you know, that's why understanding trauma and PTSD and, you know, having accessible treatment for PTSD is so incredibly important because a lot of, you know, what I, as I treat PTSD and something that I see is that people think their PTSD symptoms as a result of the trauma they've experienced is just normal life. Mm. They think that the problem, the pro, you know, either the problem is me or the problem is life. And therefore right. I just kind of live with this. And I, you know, I, that's just kind of the view in which I look through the world. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily always see it as problematic. And that's, what's really painful about that. Um, and I see, I see that with OCD, see that with OCD and anxiety disorders too, is I, I, I've talked to people so often and they say, well, I just thought everyone was like this. I, I just thought, that everyone was anxious about this or, you know, or, 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 or had this level of dysphoria or sadness, you know, they, they think that that's, and then they come into a therapist office or they hear somebody talking and recommend like, you know, that this is an issue for them that, that can be alleviated in some way. It's like, it's, it, it's, a, it's a, such a strange concept because I thought there was no way out of this level of anxiety or whatever. And uh, yeah, trauma is the same way, of course. It's like, I would call it like you're at the bottom of a mountain looking up, and it mm. looks way too hard to climb. So mm. you don't. Yep. And I think that, you know, we're talking about trauma in terms of psychological trauma or real life trauma, whatever. And I think that um, what we're talking about with current events, oh, and we didn't even talk about COVID. <laughs> COVID was a <laughs> universal trauma, you know? I oh, mean, literally right. it was universally yeah. tra traumatic, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, you... Well, I don't know if there's anyone that wasn't affected by COVID or known somebody that has had COVID at this point, but, you know, people lost businesses. They lost their life savings. They, you know, they lost their yeah. loved oh, ones. I mean, it was just right. like an incredible trauma. Um, we lost our sense of normalcy. I mean, you name it. Right. And so when, if we're going to take this to current events in that painful thing happens, then another painful thing happens. Then another painful thing happens. After a while, we're like, this again? This mm -hmm. again? Yeah, right. right? And like right. the, what is your, um, 
what's your anxiety response? Fight, flight, or freeze. And so some right. people get angry and some people freeze and shut down. Um, and some people run and hide, right? That is, yeah. that is kind of the normal response. And so if painful traumatic things keep happening, that those are the three biological responses. Right. So let's, let's move into the other pieces here. Cause I do want to get to coping ideas before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, before we get to that, I did just want to say, once again, let's review back to dialectics. There are no denying there are incredibly painful things and circumstances going on in the world. And the above cognitions that we just went through and that trauma, cumulative, learned helplessness stuff will make it impossible to have a meaningful life, to function, to feel joy, or to have any amount of kind of balanced emotions. So that it's incredibly important that despite all the stuff happening in the world, that we have to try to find a way to cope with what feels unimaginable, because if you don't cope, you suffer. Okay. So, all right, let's talk about coping ideas. Can I go first? Yep. So uh, the, uh, building positive emotions and healthy habits. Now, one of the examples we put in our notes is to coach soccer or, <laughs> you know, do what you do. I have two good examples of that. I recently went to a farmer's market. It was after, you know, I don't know, some bad thing happened, whatever. Constantly bad things are happening. <laughs> and uh, which is not true. That's a distortion. It's not true that co constantly bad things are happening. Let's Let's be real about it. But. Um, anyway, I got to see people at a farmer's market being friendly to one another, enjoying the, the food trucks, and, and I enjoyed it too. I had a really good gyro. I go every Thursday now, um, and we got some good strawberries. I mean, that's not going to solve our world's problems here, but it allows me to both do, do the dialectic, like you said, is to, is, to, is to feel this pain, know that these things are going on in the world, but still go to the farmer's market, still take a look around at the, the goodness of humanity and, uh, and to really relish that moment. And I, and I really did when I went, I mean, I, I told my wife about it. I was like, that was, that was more medicine than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I coached my kids softball this year, my oldest, and it was really fun to learn those girls' names, to help them uh, from the beginning of the season, not hit anything or catch anything or be scared of the ball to the end of the season. Many of them were crushing it in the outfield. It was just wonderful. So, um, to, I guess to, to join your community go, um, is the first one, I think. Yeah, I think, and you know, I would say that the, the distorted thought that would block the willingness to do that would be, what's the point. And I think what I would say to that and what you just said is tiny pockets of joy. The farmer's mm. market is a great example of tiny pockets of joy. Um, right. Soccer, I would say, is the, you know, or softball in your case, is, is the bigger, you know, it's a routine. Mm. It's something you do every yeah. week. It's an anchor mm. in your week, right? That gives some kind of um, routine there. Um, but you have the joy you feel from those things may not equally match the pain of, you know, how do you conceptualize the two-year-old whose parents were killed in Chicago or whatever, right? Like that's not going to balance out and mm -hmm. small pockets of joy are still worth it. All right. Um, okay. So building positives, events, habits, coaching soccer. The other thing you kind of hit on this with the softball is like coaching soccer, building relationships, whatever, you know, any of that stuff, you're really seeing joy and growth in balancing out the new idea of it's all hopeless. It's like, well, there's a lot of hope in those little people. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of engagement and there's a lot of good and it's not yeah. all bad. That's that's what we would call what behavioral behavioral learning to kind of disprove the, the, the cognition that it's all bad and it's all hopeless. Exactly, Lauren. You're, 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 you hit the nail on the head. You're, you're engaging in a behavior that promotes joy, that promotes a, uh, a, 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 um, a counter, a counterbalance. Yeah. New learning. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So the next one connection, um, the more you connect with other people and feel supported, the better it feels. Um, the cogn, you know, the cognitions we talked about magnify suffering, but it's hard to even put words on how powerful human connection really will be. Um, an example that I can give. So Nick and I were both at the OCD conference this past weekend, and we went to a talk on BDD, body dysmorphia disorder. And the presenters were excellent. We can shout them out, Chris Johnson and Scott Garnett. Um, but what made it so excellent is they were both incredibly open and vulnerable with their struggles mm-hmm. with BDD in a way that um, I'm sure was intimidating for them. But the only thing the audience felt towards them was incredible respect and compassion um, and support. You know, hearing people kind of talk about their own personal struggles while kind of contributing to the research in the field. um, There's only one response, which is like, wow, like you're incredibly amazing in your willingness to put yourself out there and talk openly about your experience and how to move it forward. So, you know, I think the one thing to know about connection is the more vulnerable you make yourself, the more connected people feel towards you. So if you are struggling with these events, um, talk to people about it because they can support you in it. Don't hide it inside. Right. Um, ex- the other piece I kind of want to run through, through some of these to make sure we get through yeah. it. Um, accepting reality and then working towards changing reality. Part of the thing, I think, working towards changing that reality to do that in a, in a connected way, to join a, a group that is working towards shared interests. You know, uh, I've done that recently, and that makes me feel a degree better, a degree less hopeless about the situation. Uh, hasn't solved uh, world crises yet, but, you know, we're working on it, and we're of, of, of same mind to try to do that. So I'm accepting that reality and working to change it with others, with those connections, like you said. Yeah, let me just um, point out, if you don't accept reality, you're going to wallow in being angry about reality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you have to first accept, okay, whether I like it or not, this is happening. And so because it's happening, what am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And right. uh, that's getting involved, you know. Why don't you do the next one? I really like what you wrote here. Um, treat mental, treat your mental state as if it is a precious, precious commodity. You know, I have to work really hard and value my sanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have to to think about what I do and how I spend my time and what I read and what I don't read and understand how that is going to affect my mind, my emotions, my mood, my productivity. And I need Mm -hmm. to make wise choices around that. Um, If I go, I'm just going to say CNN, for example, but in, I would say any news source, if I go on CNN, every time I go on CNN for whatever reason, there's always at least one story about like a brain eating amoeba. And I don't need to click on that because I don't really need to know about how swimming in the ocean is going to give me a brain eating amoeba because I love swimming in the ocean. So I'm going to choose to not read that because that my sanity means a lot to me. And the joy of swimming in the ocean means a lot to me too. So 
I'm rolling the dice on that one. And I'm going to shield my brain from that. The the problem with that, though, is, and I want to move forward, but like the, the, the problem is, is that CNN, like I, there's something about our brains, and this is a, a social psychologist could tell us exactly what this term is, but that we gravitate towards the negative. We gravitate towards the, um, the sort of aberrant, darker articles. This is why people like shows like SVU Law and Order yep. or whatever, like all those things. And so when you read the news, you know, it's why it's a lot of doom scrolling. I found myself today before this podcast looking at the New York Times. And what did I click on? I didn't click on the new space telescope discovery from the James Webb images, which I found very interesting. I clicked on, I don't know, something about guns or something. And here I am once again being gravitated towards that get sucked in. And I was like, no, it was gerrymandering actually. It was, uh, yeah, whatever. But um, to your point, I think be thoughtful about uh, your mental state and treat what you do with your time as a precious commodity. It's well put. Cool. Um, all right. Let's, the next one is let painful realities coexist while doing essentially what we've been talking about. Increasing positive emotions, values driven activities, meaningful connection, time on hobbies, things that matter yeah. than you. I right. think the biggest thing that I see both as a therapist when treating like OCD and anxiety and also with stuff like this is that people get stuck and they're like, I cannot exist with mm -hmm. this as is. And because right. and then you just stay stuck. Like I cannot move on because of blank. And I think you have to let them be side by side if you want any chance of, you know, a meaningful life where you're not bogged down in hopelessness. Right. So what do we want to wrap up with? What do we want to, what else do we want to say on this concept of hopelessness that so many are dealing with uh, both in and out of our therapy offices? Um, well, I think what I'd say is, However, you know, we don't always have a choice about our emotions. So whatever you feel is fine. But we also don't need to listen or have our behavior be dictated by our emotions. So if you're having a day where you feel really down and dark and stuck and hopeless or whatever, going back to the whole precious commodity thing, I'd say like, all right, give yourself some time on the couch, maybe 10 minutes mm -hmm. to just like be in a funk. That's okay. It's okay right. to be in a funk sometimes, but after 10 right. minutes, you have to really be like, or however long or whatever. Yeah, sure. You need to go on a walk because yeah. it's not healthy for you to stay stuck. Mm -hmm. And right. we don't want to invalidate the fact that, you know, your emotions are real and it's normal to have those emotions. And like I said, we don't want to wallow. So we want to be thoughtful about our emotions. We want to not judge our emotions. But we also don't want to get stuck in our emotions. That's what I would say. How about you? I agree with I, I agree with that. I, I would say set an alarm. Go ahead. Do 10 minutes, do 15, whatever. You know, and you, and you may not even frame it as I'm going to wallow for 10 minutes. You might say, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to sit here and in 10 minutes, I'm going to go for a walk, you know, no matter what or in a half hour, whatever, you know, um, to, to get up and get yourself activated. Because we, we like you said, to, to wallow is to suffer. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities for us to wallow. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of, um, I'm normally triggered by the word trigger word, but I'll go ahead and say <laughs> it because it works here. There's a lot of triggers. Um, like we were mentioning before, CNN or any news feed or any Facebook scroll you get, doesn't take you long to get to a, a you know, a piece of uh, news or whatever that can bring you right back there or set you up for rumination about um, the wallowing. Wallowing and rumination, I'm going to put in the same category, but yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay. The other thought I would say is that go back to dialectics, for example. It's not mm -hmm. the world sucks or avoid and deny. It's mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff going on and I'm feeling a lot of emotions and I need to try to live my life and in this world anyway. So it's both. It's not, we're not flipping flopping. Um, I can. I can still I can still go coach softball tonight and teach those girls how to hit, even though Putin has uh, continues to wage war on the people of Ukraine. Yes. Um, okay. I think a good ending note. The last note we have written down, Nick. What what happens when we don't accept? When we get really do we don't accept or we wallow? What What do you think happens to people? Just as a clinical psychologist, what do you see? When people are struggling and they're not dealing with it, how do you, how, how would you say that shows up? When people aren't accepting, uh, they're you know they're they're going to get stuck. That's just the that's the main thing I would I would say. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I just think if they're not going to accept, they're going to get stuck. They're um, they're not going to be allowing any other sort of cognitions or or hopeful uh, sort of uh, sentiments to enter their life and. Uh, so acceptance is the first piece of, of anything. When we say they say that in addiction all the time, you have to accept that you have this problem that needs a severe intervention. And I would say that's case for major depressive disorder, OCD, um, and general hopelessness that you might be feeling about the world events. We live on planet Earth, and we've got no other planet to live on and, until Elon Musk gets the starship up and running. No, no. Um, let's not talk about Elon Musk. <laughs> okay, all right, fine, 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 fine. But even then, it's going to take a many uh, centuries to terraform Mars. So we're, we've got this planet, okay? We have Earth. And on Earth exist all these things. We have to accept that. We have to accept the world for exactly what it is and continue to live our best life in it, even though that's sometimes hard. Or, yeah, or a fine life. Yeah, I guess the only thing I would add to it is when you're when you're stuck, you're avoiding, you're denying, you're escaping, you're controlling, you're overcompensating, you're blaming, you're angry, right? Like there's so many trickle down psychological things that happen when people are mm -hmm. stuck. And that's mm -hmm. the stuff that's pouring gasoline on your life, you mm -hmm. know? And there's a lot of misery in all of those trickle down behaviors of stuckness. And so our call really is just to help people not go there because that's a right. pretty crappy place to leave, live. And, you know, you'll eventually find your way to us and we're full, you know, we're busy. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm right. kidding. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, good talk, man. We'll see you we'll right, next time. I'll see you. All right. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Credit to our theme music to my brother, Andrew McLean. Please subscribe, leave a review, and tell us what you think. All opinions are our own.